morning's scripture reading is from the book of Jonah. It'll be on page 774 in the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. Again, this morning's reading is from Jonah chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Peace to you, brothers and sisters. I give thanks to the Lord that I have this opportunity once again to speak to you. Before I deliver the message, I want to once again to express uh, our gratitude on behalf of the brothers and sisters from Paraland to Pastor Joseph. Uh, to Pastor Jason, Pastor Fred, as well as the brothers and sisters and the leaders of the council. Uh, we give thanks to everyone for your support for in the, in the past and as well for your prayer and your giving. Uh, perhaps you've received this uh, prayer and pledge card over the past month. And as a reminder that the building campaign in Paraland is about to start, and it will probably be finished really soon. Now, perhaps you might notice while I'm dressed today is different than my normal Sunday attire. Perhaps you've noticed over the past few weeks that the brothers and sisters from Paraland have dressed in a similar fashion to hand you dessert and prayer cards after service. And so we ask that you would come and support the Paraland building. And so that you'll take note that the church planting effort in Paraland is continuing. And so this t shirt represents an honor. 
能参与这项工作，我们感到非常光荣。And to be able to participate in this ministry, we should feel privileged and glory.那这一个衣服也代表一个尾声。And so this T-shirt also represents a commitment.我们愿意持守主的托付，在离神的社区建立教会，领人归主。That we're willing to abide in the word of the Lord and to continue to lead souls to Christ in the Pearland community.我们知道SCC在一九七五年建立。and we know that HCC was established in 1975. And established, has planted six different uh, campuses and of 22 years in Houston area. And this includes uh, West, uh, Western Houston Chinese Church as well as Fort Bend Community Church. Uh, HCC saw the potential for the development and growth in Pearland from 1997 to 2007. There are more and more people removing into that area. So And so the HCC leaders uh, purchased the five-acre land uh, right next to 288 uh, for about $270,000. And so after the uh, council's decision and affirmed by the congregation in 2011, we began this ministry. And our hope is to establish a church in Paris to win more souls to Christ. Uh, five and a half years ago, I left uh, the church I had pastored for 18 years. Uh, I came to a church plant in Paraland. And so a pastor was curious and asked me, you've been pastoring for such a long time, why do you come and church plant? A church planting is challenging. It's probably more suitable to those who are uh, young and recent seminary grads. It's not because I couldn't remain in my former church. But I agree with HEC's vision and church planting model. And I saw there are so many souls that need Christ in Pearland. And three years ago, because there are no Chinese pastor here in HCC, and so they moved me back here to the main campus to be responsible for the Mandarin ministry. But even though I'm responsible for, uh, for leadership here, but I was still never abandoned the brothers and sisters in Paraland. So every, after every Sunday service here in HCC, I would go over to the Paraland service in the afternoon. Our home is still the location for the prayer meeting for Paraland. My wife and I are committed to remain with the Paraland brothers and sisters until the building campaign is finished. Perhaps in the past you noticed no matter, no matter the age or gender of the brothers and sisters in Paraland, you don't really recognize them. But they are willing and they are glad to commit themselves to this effort in Paraland. 
First Chronicles 11 records for us a group of warriors that had accompanied David through all these very difficult years before he came to power and became king. Now, if you open the Bible, you'll notice that none of them were really well known or, or you can tell, know by name. And so the scholars, when they mention these warriors, they mention there are three characteristics. One is that even though everyone else had abandoned David, these are the ones who were willing to remain and fight alongside David. Second of all, these were uh, extremely faithful and loyal to David and were willing to give up their lives for his cause. And the third of all, these are the ones who were persevere, able to overcome the most difficult and harshest challenge. And so these men were willing to follow David through all kinds of troubles and trials without remorse or regret. And so they were able to establish a great foundation and establish the kingdom of David. And the brothers and sisters of Paralel possess these qualities as well. And we know that it's very difficult to establish a church plan. You have to pay all kinds of costs. And you need to move a lot. And so over the past few years, I saw people leave. But the ones who remain are willing to persevere and continue to worship there. We have a family who actually moved down from Pittsburgh to join us in this church planting effort. There are two or three families that even though their work may be in the northern side, they purchased their houses in Paraland intentionally so that they can join our we have two or three different um, elderly couples who every week would spend time in the community to teach others. And they're willing to commit faithfully so that they can win more souls to Christ. Now, this effort is about to be finished. And our hope is that the brothers and sisters in HCC will join us and accompany us in this ministry. We believe this is the work of the Lord. And as children of God, we need to set our minds on the things of God in order to win more souls to Christ. Someone asked me, what does church planting in parallel have to do with me? Why do I have to care and to participate and to give to a building campaign? Now, beyond the fact that this is a vision received from God for HCC, more, more importantly, there are so many more souls that do not know Christ yet in parallel. And they need this precious salvation. There are some people who think that China is close, but Paraland is far. And we'll spend the money to do missions in China. But we don't see that there are so many people who need the Lord in Paraland. 
We are the children of God. We need to set our minds on things of God. We need to come together and accomplish the mission that God has given us. And so if you're moved, and you can take this pledge card and you can fill out the, the number that you want to participate in this ministry so that this church building campaign will be done quickly and that the more souls that come into church and to serve the Lord over these past few weeks the four pastors in the Chinese congregation are going to preach to Jonah we're going to once again to examine the Lord's heart for his children I'm sure that everyone knows is familiar with the story of Jonah uh, he was rejecting, rebelling against the Lord, will the Lord to go and preach the message of uh, repentance in Nineveh? So that God brought about a whole series of things and events on his life to teach him to understand the uh, the heart of the Lord for lost souls and to send him out once again to finish the calling of God the greatest problem for Jonah isn't that he's powerless or he's weak or he uh, rebelled against God's will and his biggest issue is he didn't realize what the, the, the lives of the Ninevites have to do with him. And the Ninevites, you know, they're damned. They're, uh, they should be due God's righteous judgment. Why should God care about the lives of these pagan Ninevites? Especially given that Assyria is a future enemy of Israel. And in, the Israel, in their own country of Israel has all kinds of needs. Their own people need salvation. Why would they take the effort to go and save the foreign pagans? Actually, Prophet Jonah actually knows the Lord. He knows that God is full of compassion and merciful. He's slow to anger, is abounding in love. He will change his heart once people are willing to repent and no longer bring about disaster and judgment. So he knows that once Nineveh, Nineveh is willing to repent, that God will no longer bring about judgment against their sins. So, so when God called upon Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, Jonah was deeply resistant from the bottom of his heart. There are two negative thoughts and reasons in his mind. First, the Ninevites, they are pagans and they resist the Lord. That their souls have nothing to do with him. And the Assyrians are well known for the cruelty against their enemies. 
they were even worse morally than the Israelites. Of course, they don't deserve the grace of God. And second of all, Jonah was a patriot. If the Ninevites repent and become strong in the future, they will become a great threat to the northern kingdom of Israel. And eventually they might be conquered by Assyria. And we know from what happened afterwards that Jonah's thought was actually correct. Because in about 40 to 50 years, around 721 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria. So Prophet Jonah feels that he has cause to re reject the calling of God. And that's why in chapter 1, when God called, commanded Jonah to travel northeast toward Nineveh, he actually went in the opposite direction, southwest, to Tarshish of Spain. He took concrete actions to reject the calling of God and was unwilling to respond uh, faithfully. And even though Jonah felt like he was just in his rejection of God's calling, but God did not change his plan or his thinking because of Jonah's disobedience. Whatever God wills to do, it will be accomplished. And so on his way to Tarshish, God uh, rose up a huge storm in the seas. The Bible tells us that the huge waves that the ship was over, almost overcome. And we see that the sailors were incredibly scared. And they kept crying out to their own gods. But we see that Jonah was actually sleeping in the, on the, in the boat. And you see these dramatic difference in their response. Because Jonah knows that this storm came about from his rejection, his rebellion against God's calling. So he's willing to take responsibility. If the ship capsizes, then if I die, I die. You'll see that Jonah doesn't really care about the, uh, the lives of the sailors. And when the sailors that realize what's happening is because Jonah was rebelling against the Lord by casting lots. And so they are greatly scared. And so they asked Jonah, what should we do in order to make the seas calm again? And so Jonah tells them directly, just toss me into the ocean, and the oceans will be calm. You can tell from this response that this Jonah uh, he has a heart of self-righteousness. My brothers and sisters, this, our text this morning, chapter 2, is actually a difficult passage. <laughs> when we were planning for uh, arranging these different passages, I didn't do enough homework. 
We're just going to arrange on the spot, and then I, when I started preparing, that's when I realized how challenging chapter 2 is. We should ask someone else to preach this chapter. One of the challenges is when we talk about this great fish, what type of fish are we talking about? Well, is it a whale or is it some unknown fish? Is this story made up or is it true? Is it possible to truly survive for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? Was the author of Jonah actually talking about something real or is he actually speaking in parables and metaphors? And you'll notice that in chapter 2, it's actually poetic, it's a poem. And its content is actually independent. It's a prayer that he uttered in the belly of the fish. And so the genre here is actually different from the narrative uh, text that you find in the other three chapters. If you read chapter 1, verse 17, and then jump directly to chapter 2, verse 10, you'll notice there's no interruption. And so there are, there are Old Testament scholars who believe that chapter 2 was actually inserted afterwards. But if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 or 38 or 40, you notice that we can answer the question. Now, we, because due to time, we're not going to read it together, but if you turn there, that these three verses, Matthew 12, Jesus tells, tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one who's eternal. And he mentions about all these things that are about to happen to him, and he draws his comparison to what happens to Jonah in the belly of the fish. And he says this is true and this is one of the greatest miracles. If that is so, then the story of Jonah being uh, surviving in the belly of the fish is a special act of God. Now, if you look at this book in entirety, you'll notice that chapters 1 and 2 is actually symmetrical to chapters 3 and 4. In chapter 1, verse 2, we see that the word of God came to Jonah and asked him to go and preach Nineveh. And in chapter 3, verse 2, God's word came a second time to Jonah to do the same, to go to Nineveh. In 1 verse 3, we see that Jonah rejects the calling of God. And in chapter 3 verse 3, Jonah accepts the calling of God. In 1 verse 4, we see that God displays his power. 
in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, we see that Jonah's prayer, he gives thanks to God for saving him in the midst of a great storm. But in chapter 4, 1 to 3, Jonah prays once again. But there he complains that God was willing to save and spare the foreign and pagan Ninevites. In chapter 2, verse 10, God commands the fish to spit Jonah into dry land. In chapter 4, verses 4 to 11, God teaches Jonah his heart through a plant and a worm. So through this contrast, you'll see that the author of Jonah is trying to highlight Jonah's self-righteousness and his uh, unwilling to recognize God's compassionate heart in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we're told three important things. And first of all, that Jonah is familiar with God's word, but he doesn't see his own unrighteousness. After you read through the entire chapter 2, this prayer, you'll notice that the words and the language seems to have come from the book of Psalms. As Jonah chapter 2 verse 2 says, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Verse 7 says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And he's quoting at Psalm 18, 4 to 6. Chapter uh, Psalm 18, verses 4 to 6 says, The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. You can almost find every single verse in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 somewhere in uh, its origin in the book of Psalms. 
So without question, we can tell that Jonah is incredibly familiar with the Word of God and he keeps them in his heart. In his moment of distress and trials as he's suffering or surviving in the belly of the fish, these words come to his mind and become his source of his prayer. And so we see that Jonah was actually a God, a man who feared the Lord, he was godly, and he has a real relationship with the Lord. So see, in the midst of this prayer, as he's conversing with God in verse 4, Jonah says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Uh, there's a Greek translation that translates the word yet into of course or therefore. So you can say I am driven away from your sight therefore or of course I shall again look upon your holy temple. So even as he's come down to the bottom of that ocean and he's facing the threat of death and to the utmost of the point of losing his consciousness, he's able to say in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So you notice that in this prayer, he's actually taking the time to actually accuse the sins and the crimes of those pagans who don't worship the Lord in order to justify himself before God. So verse 9, he says, but I, with, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Brother and sister, do you recognize how confident Jonah is in his own righteousness? He believes that he's absolutely justified before God that he hasn't owe God anything. Even though he was rejecting God's will and he ran the other way, but he feels he is right in his cause and what he was doing. There's no signs of repentance for disobeying God's will. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize that oftentimes we're similar, we're just like Jonah? We may think that we're consistent in our attendance, that we serve the Lord a lot, and we're familiar with God's word. We're godly, we love the Lord just like Jonah. And so we feel great about ourselves. What we're actually doing is still trying to be master of our own lives and do things according to our own will instead of following God's will. 
第二，你可以看见在这一段经文告诉我们，约拿他感谢神的救恩，却不愿意他人蒙恩。And、second of all, we see that Jonah gives thanks for salvation, but he doesn't want others to receive God's grace. 如果单单从约拿的祷告，我们把它归类，它是一个感恩诗。If we just look at Jonah's prayer, we can categorize this as a prayer of thanksgiving. 在里面，他陈述在波涛汹涌的大海当中，他如何被神所拯救。And he describes how he was received God's salvation from the stormy seas. 神如何透过一只大鱼保全了他的生命。How God saved his life through the belly of the big fish. And that God's mighty hand actually spared him from the death. And so his heart's filled with gratitude and praise to God. And so when we read this prayer, oftentimes we're confused. We think that because Jonah is being grateful, that therefore he is repentant and sorry for all the Things that he's done in the past for disobeying God. But if you actually pay attention, you'll notice throughout this prayer of thanksgiving, there are no words at all that has to do with repentance. And the Old Testament scholar points out that the author of Jonah is trying to use this to describe how Jonah has no regret or Remorse or repentance. And of course, you should give thanks for being saved and being spared. But don't you think before he gives thanks for the God, he should take time to give to repent and ask God to forgive us for all the things that he had done in rejection and rebelling against God's command? But you don't see any sign of repentance in his prayer. Jonah is very fortunate that he was able to escape death as he faced the threat of death in. Midst of trials, and so he gives thanks to God for sparing his life. And we see that he actually even vows before God that he's going to take action to make sacrifice and to repay and to return his vow. So this causes us to think that he's someone who's truly repentant. He knows how to be grateful, and he's someone who fears the Lord. Actually, Jonah is actually a self-centered, selfish, and childish person. He cares about his own livelihood. All he cares about is his own livelihood. If you read carefully, this throughout this prayer, the word that occurs the most is "I." If you read carefully, this throughout this prayer, the word that occurs the most is "I." In the Chinese Bible, this word appears about twenty-three times. He gives thanks to God for his salvation and his saving grace on his life. But if you compare this to his prayer in chapter four, where Jonah is absolutely. Angry at God's salvation and His sparing of the Ninevites. He thinks God is wrong. It's incomprehensible that God would save these evil people. He thinks it's wrong. It's incomprehensible that God would save these evil foreigners. He thinks it's wrong. 
He believes he's acting out of from God's justice that if you did something wrong, you deserve God's judgment. God should judge these evil Ninevites for rejecting him and worshiping foreign idols. He should not forgive and spare them from his judgment. And so Jonah has completely forgotten that he himself has rebelled against God. And God yet saved him so that he would be spared death. God has the sovereign will and the power, the right to decide what he wants. He is only a servant. He should obey to the master and do what God wants him to do. Third of all, we see that Jonah knows God's loving character, but he doesn't set his mind on the things of God. I think we all recognize that Jonah is someone who knows the word of God well, and he has a strong sense of justice, and he fears the Lord. And he knows God's character really well. He knows God to a certain degree. But don't you see how his heart is very narrow? He only cares about himself and his own country. He doesn't think that people in Nineveh need the salvation of God. So the Jonah's response reminds us of the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. We know the story how the older brother was deeply angry when he sees that uh, the father has welcomed and celebrated the return of the prodigal son. As he came home immediately to protest against his father. He obeyed and he always like was next to his father's side, but he never received any good things. But the younger brother has squandered all his inheritance and has done nothing well, but yet he receives a celebration. We know that when Jesus is talking about the prodigal son, he's actually addressing the religious leaders such as the scribes and the Pharisees. Because when Jesus is drawing close to the sinners and the tax collectors, these scribes and Pharisees were started to grumble. And so this elder son was just like the scribes and the Pharisees. They know the law, and they think they know God, and love God, but they don't know the heart of God. They were unwilling to take the father's role and go and take, welcome the return of the prodigal son. And so Jonah has committed the same mistake as these religious leaders. He's self-righteous, he thinks that he loves God, but he doesn't see his own weakness. He cannot, does not set his mind on the things of God. He does not love his enemy. Uh, brothers and sisters, in a few weeks is when we will take the time to celebrate the birth of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, 
Holy nature cannot coexist with the evilness of man. But he humbled himself to obey God's will. He made the decision to enter into human history. He loved us to the end and he gave his life up for us. And through his death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. So that we can enter into eternity. And so the self-righteousness and self-confidence of Jonah reminds us that Jesus in his willingness to sacrifice himself to die for us has become a great example. There are still many who don't know the Lord around us. Do you see that this is your responsibility to share the gospel with them? Psalm 116 verses 12-14 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I hope that in this time, in this season, we're celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus, that we will make this decision. We'll respond to the calling of the Lord. To love those that are difficult to love. To love those who don't know the Lord. And to take initiative to share the good news with them. And so as a result of our response to God's calling, that we will have a meaningful Christmas season. Let's bow and pray. Lord, we give thanks to you so that we will be reminded once again through your word that oftentimes we're like Jonah, that we are confident, we only see our own needs, but we do not know your heart. There are so many souls who don't know you, and this is our responsibility. Help us to take hold of this opportunity. To take initiative and share the gospel. To fulfill your will. May your birth become our reminder. Become our example. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.